Hello, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Waiting in the Sky podcast. I am the host, TJ Starman, and I am very excited because today I am recording the very first games episode of the Waiting in the Sky podcast. And I figured to start things off, uh, I have to go with what I know. I have to go with what I love and, and my favorite. So the very first games episode is going to be on Kingdom Hearts, my favorite video game series of all time. And so I'm so excited to start talking about Kingdom Hearts. I've had this one kind of drawn up since I first decided to start the podcast. So very eager to get speaking on that. However, I want to just kind of touch on a couple of things. So I had originally hoped to get this episode out last Monday, uh, which was Labor Day. Um, But I totally had forgotten that it was Labor Day. And so I Uh, was traveling last weekend, didn't have the chance to sit down and record this episode, um, but I'm finally recording it now. It's Sunday night, and I just watched my Chicago Bears uh, get obliterated on national television, and so I'm going to do my best to stay positive, (laughs) and talking about Kingdom Hearts should definitely uh, help brighten my mood a little bit, so super excited about that. Um, But yes, now I'm going to do my best to stick to the schedule that I had outlined previously. And that is a media episode every Monday. So games, movies, TV. And then I'm going to try and be doing a sports episode every Friday. So right now it's football Friday. So next Friday or this Friday is coming Friday. I will break down uh, the week one matchup of the bears versus the Rams as painful as that may be. And then shift gears and uh, preview the week two matchup against the Bengals. So if you are also a Bears fan, keep an eye out for that one on Friday. Um, And then also before I get started, I also want to just mention that uh, the Waiting in the Sky podcast is all across social media. So in addition to whatever podcast platforms you typically like to listen to, we do also have a YouTube channel now started, um, as well as TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find the Waiting in the Sky podcast on all of those platforms at In the Sky Pod. So if you're ever in doubt, that's what you need to search, at In the Sky Pod. So without further ado, I'm going to shift gears here, and I want to talk about Kingdom Hearts. So a little bit of background on the video game series. If you're not familiar, uh, Kingdom Hearts was started in 2002. It is Final Fantasy, a long-running Japanese RPG series colliding with Disney. Everyone obviously knows what Disney is, what Disney is all about. Um, They basically rule the world and own everything at this point. Um, And so these are two things that you would not think go together at all. And I don't think that they entirely do. But I think that that's the magic of... Kingdom Hearts is that Final Fantasy and Disney cross over to create this just strange kind of atmosphere and feel to it. Um, And so with it being a cross between a Japanese RPG and Disney and some of those ideas, um, it's not a surprise to hear that some of the key themes across the series are light and darkness, um, keys, obviously, friendship, memories, and hearts. Uh, Hearts is another obvious one. Um, So those are a couple of themes that you can see sprinkled throughout every entry in this series. And it's kind of what makes Kingdom Hearts what it is. And so Kingdom Hearts has, I think, the 
the uh, overall kind of whimsical nature of Disney and you combine it with all of the elements of Japanese RPGs. So the fighting, kind of the one against all or teaming up together to fight this larger than life enemy. Um, and you get those together and they cooked it up in the Square, well, at the time, Squaresoft studio and came up with Kingdom Hearts in 2002. Um, since then, there have been over 10 entries uh, in the series. And so I'm actually only going to focus on nine today. Um, and those nine all have definitive versions playable on either the PlayStation 4 or on PC. Um, but they are on originally released on eight dedicated gaming consoles um, from, let me pull up my notes here. So starting out on PS2, then going into Game Boy Advance, PlayStation, PlayStation 2, Nintendo DS, PSP, 3DS, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, all across the board. They've been on all of these different consoles. But like I said, they've all been remastered and into collections that are have the definitive versions playable on either the PlayStation 4 or the PC. So what I'm going to do is I want to kind of go through each series or each entry in the series one, one by one and kind of summarize what exactly each entry is and what it covers, go into the lore a little bit. Um, and I also want to share each entry's Metacritic score. So if you're not familiar with Metacritic, Metacritic is a website that basically takes all of these reviews, all of these different scores and scales, and then kind of averages them out and then gives a score to each game uh, scale of 1 to 100, obviously with 100 being uh, like a perfect game and 1 being just the worst thing imaginable and gives it a score there. So it's very similar to Rotten Tomatoes for movies um, where it kind of aggregates these scores um, and so that's what I wanted to use for the video game and kind of talk about that Metacritic score to kind of get a good idea of the general public and critics um, feelings about each game. And then I'll shift gears, go into my personal rankings and share how I feel personally about each of them. And uh, then we'll wrap things up there. Um, but without further ado, let's get into the Kingdom Hearts series. In 2002, the original Kingdom Hearts was released for the PlayStation 2. So the background of the first entry, the original Kingdom Hearts, is that it centers around a, I believe he's 10 years old, uh, boy named Sora. Um, and so he lives on Destiny Islands with his best friends, uh, Riku and Kairi. Riku is also a boy, has kind of a rivalry with. Kairi is kind of his, like, crush, like... Uh, their kids, so it's weird to say love interest, but that ultimately is what she is. Um, and so they live on Destiny Islands. They kind of hang out and play on this island, but it is shown that they actually live on like a mainland with their parents who are never seen um, and things like that. So ultimately, it starts off with Sora discovering that there is this world of darkness and there is uh, what they call an awakening within him and he is introduced to the keyblade now the keyblade is very iconic in the series it is exactly what it sounds like it is a key that is the size of a sword and is used as a weapon um, by our heroes and also <laughs> by the villains in the series 
And so the Keyblade has the ability to unlock anything. It's also got just magical abilities that pretty much do whatever the story requires of it. And all of a sudden one day, Sora's Island is attacked by the Heartless. And so Heartless are the general kind of bad creatures of the Kingdom Hearts universe. So they are the result of people who have lost their hearts, have had their hearts taken away from them. And so now they just feed on darkness and they fight um, against the light and try to consume essentially everything. And I'm doing my best to describe this. There is a lot. Um, so as I go through each entry, I'm going to kind of hit on the relevant lore um, to the best of my ability. So uh, through this, the Destiny Islands is attacked by Heartless and the world starts deteriorating. It starts being sucked into essentially a black hole. And Sora, who now has the Keyblade, is using it to fight back. But he can't. He can't win. The, the darkness is too much. He fights against this huge shadow, and he loses, and he gets sucked into the, the black hole. He emerges from the black hole in an entirely new world. And this establishes that in the Kingdom Hearts universe, there are different worlds. And these worlds take the form most commonly of Disney worlds. And so Kingdom Hearts has, I'm um, trying to do my best to name them all off the top of my head, uh, has Hercules, Tarzan, uh, Alice in Wonderland, um, blanking on a lot of these, uh, The Little Mermaid, uh, Halloween Town from um, Nightmare Before Christmas, just to name a few. And these are kind of sprinkled in with original Kingdom Hearts worlds as well. And so essentially the whole plot of the game is that Sora, accompanied by Donald and Goofy, who hail from the Disney Castle world, uh, must go to all of these worlds and seal keyholes that are allowing darkness to flow into the worlds and allowing the Heartless to consume each world. So this is a, re a relevant theme that continues throughout the entire series. Um, and so in the first one, Sora has to do all of this. We're introduced to all of the characters. There are original Kingdom Hearts characters. There are Final Fantasy characters. And there are Disney characters. And I have a lot of great memories of this this game when it released. I didn't play it right away. Um, but I was, I was a kid and I loved Disney. So it, it had me interested right off the bat. Um, Metacritic score for Kingdom Hearts 1, 85. So pretty well received overall by critics. Um, that paved the way for Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, which was essentially the first spin-off title of Kingdom Hearts. But the thing is with Kingdom Hearts is even the spin-offs are all still extremely relevant. It's all like on one timeline and everything contributes to the main story, which is something that's very contributed to a very convoluted story for Kingdom Hearts. But in Chain of Memories is essentially about Sora trying to piece together um, his memories that he is, lo or is losing memories, excuse me, he's losing memories of the events of Kingdom Hearts 1 as he goes through a, what's called, what's Castle Oblivion. And he's fighting members of a shadowy organization that we will learn about in Kingdom Hearts 2. So Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories was released in 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, now, I never played the Game Boy Advance version of this game. I actually played uh, the 
Rechain of Memories edition, which was released as part of the definitive collections of Kingdom Hearts. And so the Metacritic score for Chain of Memories is 68. So not quite as well received. Uh, the battle system is entirely different uh, because it was on Game Boy Advance, which is a significantly different console than PlayStation. And then they did tweak it in order to make it work on the PlayStation 3 and uh, the PlayStation 4 versions of Rechain of Memories. Even so, entirely different. Um, and that leads directly into Kingdom Hearts 2, which was released in 2005 and came out on the PlayStation 2 again. Now, Kingdom Hearts 2 focuses uh, again on Sora um, coming back and regaining his memories. And then he's journeying through the worlds again, new worlds. Um, and Kingdom Hearts 2 has a lot of the same ones, but also introduces like Mulan, um, Beauty and the Beast, um, changes the Little Mermaid level into like a rhythm game. Um, and then puts a greater emphasis on the original worlds. Um, and that's because Kingdom Hearts 2 introduces nobodies. Nobodies are created anytime someone becomes a heartless. And so every time someone loses their heart, it creates a heartless and a nobody at the same time. Nobodies are not considered people. They created their own shadowy organization known as Organization 13, uh, composed of 13 very strong nobodies. And then they use their own kind of heartless creatures, um, nobody versions of these heartless creatures, to take over the world. So Sora, Donald, and Goofy are teaming up with their friends again, going world to world, trying to defeat the heartless and the nobodies and to stop organization 13 from taking over kingdom hearts, which is this giant moon that has some sort of power. And again, I'm doing this off the top of my head. It's a very convoluted story and I'm trying to give a very baseline uh, of all of the information and the lore here because uh, it is very lore heavy and it's just a lot, but kingdom hearts to Metacritic score of 87. Um, so again, another pretty highly, um, highly regarded entry into the series as the number two entry in the mainline series. There, after 2005, we see a little bit of a gap in the series. It's not until 2009 when Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days is released for the Nintendo DS. And again, as another handheld version, uh, a handheld entry into the series, entirely different battle system, um, this one actually did not get remade, and so it's not been released as part of the collections. Um, it was kind of created or made into a movie, so all of the cutscenes were created and released as part of those collections. Um, so, Metacritic score for this one, 75. And 358 over two days kind of shows the background of the Organization 13 and focuses on Roxas, who is Sora's nobody when Sora became a heartless in Kingdom Hearts 1. Roxas was created and showcases his bond with Axel, who was a member of Organization 13, and Xion, who was a vessel created uh, by Organization 13 in order to wield the Keyblade. So again, very convoluted, but builds in a lot of backstory into the Organization 13. Um, that was released in 2009. There was a quick follow-up in 2010 in the form of Birth by Sleep. 
So Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep focuses on on a new uh, trio, and that's another theme of the series is a trio of characters, um, most commonly two boys and one girl. Birth by Sleep focuses on, it's essentially a prequel detailing the stories of Aqua, Terra, and Ventus, who are Keyblade Masters, Keyblade Wielders, I should say, um, who are about to undergo the uh, Master Trial to gain the title of Keyblade Master. And so they are now traveling to all of these worlds and protecting them from a new evil at the time known as Unversed. And they come to find out that the Unversed are being commanded um, by an evil mastermind of the entire series, Xehanort. And Xehanort is a Keyblade wielder, but a seeker of darkness. And so we are also kind of introduced to this idea of the Guardians of Light and the Seekers of Darkness. So there are 13 Guardians of Light, or 13 Seekers of Darkness, and 7 Guardians of Light is the prophecy of sorts. And this is introduced in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep was on the PSP. Um, So again, a different scenario, different control scheme and everything with not being released on the PlayStation 2 or on a home PlayStation console. Um, but this one was much more well-received than the other handheld versions uh, at an 82 Metacritic score overall. And this has a, another one that's been tweaked. The gameplay was tweaked when it was re-released. And it's much more similar to the mainline series, and especially the later entries, where it kind of inspired some of those features. Two years after Birth by Sleep, we get yet another handheld release on the Kingdom Hearts series, and this is Dream Drop Distance, and this is Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance, which means it was released on the Nintendo 3DS in 2012. Uh, So now this one has a lot of shenanigans. Uh, The story is uh, really convoluted even more so, and it's not super relevant to the rest of the series, actually, but basically... Sora and Riku have to go diving into dreams and battling evil in dream worlds this time. And so this one introduces also the world ends with you as part of uh, another world um, that is interacting with the Kingdom Hearts universe. And so Dream Drop Distance is released on 3DS. Again, it is kind of remastered and uh, created as a definitive version in a uh, PS4 collection. Uh, which is the Kingdom Hearts 2.8. What's really interesting um, about Dream Drop Distance is just the way that they utilize the 3D uh, aspect in the 3DS version. So I never actually played the 3DS version. Again, I played the more um, polished version that was released in PlayStation 4, but the Metacritic score for Dream Drop Distance is 75. So another decent score in the series. So overall, the series are, are scoring pretty well. Um, now we see another big gap between Dream Drop Distance releasing in 2012. Five years passes before we see the next kind of step forward in this Kingdom Hearts series. And that comes with the release of 2.8, which included 0.2 Birth by Sleep, a fragmentary passage. 
Now that is a mouthful for sure. And this one is actually another prequel that bridges the gap between Birth by Sleep and the original Kingdom Hearts and follows Aqua's journey through the realm of darkness. Uh, now, 0.2 is also kind of like a demo of Kingdom Hearts 3 in a lot of ways because it really showcases the ultimate control scheme and gameplay of Kingdom Hearts 3. And this comes out two years before Kingdom Hearts 3 is released. But really interesting to kind of get our, our first taste of what that battle system, that gameplay eventually will actually be like. Uh, 0.2, I actually pulled the Metacritic score for 2.8, the collection as a whole, I believe for this, because there wasn't an actual piece of just 0.2. Um, that's a 76. And so I would actually think that 0.2 probably has a little bit of a higher score, but has dropped a little bit um, based on the rest of the collection as a whole. And that released on PlayStation 4, like I said, um, two years before Kingdom Hearts 3 finally, finally releases, uh, not just on PlayStation 4, but also on Xbox One. Xbox, for the first time, Kingdom Hearts makes an appearance on that Xbox console. And Kingdom Hearts 3 was released um, 14 years <laughs> I'm just looking at this now, 14 years after Kingdom Hearts 2. And uh, it it ultimately received an 83 Metacritic score, so received pretty well overall, um, despite the long wait. Um, and, and Kingdom Hearts 3 finally really wraps up the whole saga of Xehanort and his quest to overtake the power of Kingdom Hearts, ultimately resulting in all of the Guardians of Light, these Keyblade wielders clashing and Sora having to sacrifice himself in order to protect his friends and uh, everyone that he's come to um, grow close with and love and defeat Xehanort and his darkness. Finally, as kind of an epilogue to Kingdom Hearts 3, the following year in 2020, we see Melody of Memory. Release. Now, Melody of Memory is purely a ryth rhythm game, a music game. And so Kingdom Hearts has wonderful music, as you can only imagine, between the crossover of Final Fantasy and Disney. There's amazing music throughout the series. I absolutely love the music. And so Melody of Memory focuses on that music and allows you to play like a guitar hero, you know, Dance Dance Revolution style um, rhythm game. And that releases on PS4 and Switch with a Metacritic score of 74. So entirely different gameplay. Doesn't really progress the story forward a whole lot, though the cutscenes do kind of tie into Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, as well. But Melody of Memory, as of now, is the most recent Kingdom Hearts release. And that is, a uh, well, with the exception of the mobile titles. And so there are mobile games that have been going on for a long time, and they're very, very lore-heavy. I've never got into them personally, and so that's the biggest reason. I'm not really, not really talking about them. I've followed the story of those entries a lot, like on YouTube, um, to just kind of kind of soak in some of that lore as well. But it's it's a lot to follow. Um, so I wanted to focus on these nine titles that I feel like create a very easy to follow, well, not easy to follow, easy for Kingdom Hearts to follow timeline. And so looking at the Metacritic scores. Um, I thought this was interesting. I wanted to kind of just run a quick average. So the average of all of those nine titles is about 78. So pretty decent. And then I look at just the three main titles, Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, and 3. 
is at 85. So it is higher overall. And so the average of the, the spinoff titles is about a 75. So you can see on average, people generally like the main series, main installments better. I think that's just because you're getting the traditional kind of home console experience with those. Um, and it really makes those stand out as kind of the pillars of the series. So now that I've kind of broken down each of those, I'm going to kind of go through the rankings. I'll first go through really quick the Metacritic ranking based on their scores. And then I want to talk about my own personal experience with the games and how I see them ranking. Okay, so very quickly, I'm going to run through the rankings based just on those Metacritic scores that I listed. And so, uh, of those nine titles, the number nine is Chain of Memories, uh, which was the Game Boy Advance one, focusing on Sora losing his memories. Um, following that, at number eight, is Melody of Memory, the rhythm-based game uh, based on the music of the series. Following that, 358 over two days. And so that's the DS entry, which is about Roxas and Axel and Xion's relationship and also the dealings of Organization 13. Uh, after that, coming in at uh, number six is Dream Drop Distance, the 3DS release uh, about going into dreams and battling Asura and Riku, um, exploring and meeting um, characters from uh, The World Ends With You. And number five is Zero Points You Birth by Sleep, A Fragmentary Passage, Aqua's Journey Through the Realm of Darkness. Number four, Birth by Sleep, which examines the uh, Mark of Mastery exam for Terra, Aqua, and Ventus. And number three is Kingdom Hearts 3. Number two is Kingdom Hearts 1. And the number one based on Metacritic score is Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, so I actually don't think my ranking is, is too far off from this Metacritic ranking, which I find to be kind of interesting. But I also do know that my personal experience is kind of shaped a little bit differently because I experienced so many of these uh, through the HD collections in those remastered, you know, definitive editions that were released for PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4. So for me, starting at number nine, I have Chain of Memories as well. And so Chain of Memories, I, you know, I like the story of it, I guess, because there's just some interesting elements of uh, the organization members that you don't meet in Kingdom Hearts 2 and kind of fighting them and getting that experience and even just this idea of bridging the gap of Sora's journey between Kingdom Hearts 1 and Kingdom Hearts 2. I thought that was the most fascinating thing for me as I played through the game. Um, and I really liked it. It's just the, the gameplay system itself. It uses a card system um, where you are running around and you are having to choose cards as actions. And you use that system throughout the entire game. And it's just, it's tedious compared to the main series, which is a little bit more button mashy but you know combo focused whereas this system is a lot more strategy it's a little slower paced but there are times when you really have to move quickly so it makes it difficult um and so chain of memories uh while i enjoy it i enjoy all of these games is a little bit of a headache and it falls in at number nine for me at number eight 
Um, I have 358 over two days with the big caveat being that I never actually played the DS game. I only watched the movie that was released as part of the HD collections. And so this is based entirely on story. I think the story is interesting. Um, I really liked the bonds between Shion, Roxas, and Axel. Roxas and Axel in particular, um, I think because I was able to experience that as part of Kingdom Hearts 2, was really meaningful to me. And also, again, seeing Organization 13 through a new lens was also very interesting to me. Um, I enjoyed the, the, the relationship between the three so much that I actually used them as my team in Melody of Memory. Melody of Memory, you choose a team of three um, to play through the game. And I used them as soon as I unlocked them, I used them for the rest of the game. So I really like that relationship. I just think there's not a whole lot of substance to that story. And it's, it's one of the more convoluted ones of all of these. So it comes in at number eight for me, just one spot lower than the Metacritic ranking. Above 358 over two game, 358 over two days, excuse me, is 0.2 Birth by Sleep, A Fragmentary Passage. Uh, so this one, to me, I really enjoyed this experience. It's just not a full game. And so I can't really give it full credit as much as these other ones that are actually full game releases. This is very much just like a teaser uh, and a primer for Kingdom Hearts 3. But I really do like Aqua as a character. So being able to play as her and get to experience her journey through the Realm of Darkness, I thought was really interesting. And so that did put it above Chain of Memories and 358 over two days for me. Uh, but it is still two spots lower at number seven as opposed to the Metacritic ranking. Above that at number six, I have Dream Drop Distance. Um, which is the same ranking as uh, Metacritic has it. That's a 3DS release. Um, I thought this one was good. I really like the gameplay of it. Um, and so for that, like, I think is, is where it gets the edge over some of the other ones below it. But the issue here is I just think the story doesn't really tie in fully into the rest of the series, or at least not in a super meaningful way. It is about the Mark of Mastery exam for Sora and Riku, which Riku passes and Sora does not. But beyond that, there's really nothing that really remains through the following games. And so Dream Drop Distance comes in at number six for me. Same spot as the Metacritic ranking. And number five, I went with Birth by Sleep. Birth by Sleep, I think, is a lot of fun. I think the way it takes you down um, Aqua, Terra, and Ventus' journeys as three separate journeys as part of the complete game is really cool and you get to see certain plot lines and story arcs unfold through different lenses of the characters super fun there was just a weird feeling like the, there's a feeling of emptiness to that game and i think that's part of the the atmosphere they were going for but it doesn't feel like the familiar kingdom hearts experience that i really got used to playing through kingdom hearts and kingdom hearts 2 and so birth by sleep really interested in the characters, really interested in the background that it really, um, you know, clears up after Kingdom Hearts 2. But I just don't think it. I like it enough to it uh, put it in the top tier of these games, unfortunately. So the biggest mover in my ranking is Melody of Memory, which comes in at number four for me. And that's because I absolutely love the music of Kingdom Hearts. The series as a whole, like I said, 
it's Final Fantasy music meets Disney music. And so it's just beautiful. It's awe-inspiring being able to, especially at this point, you really feel like if you've been a part of this journey, you've played all of these games, you've gone through every avenue of this series, you've heard all of these songs at some point. And maybe you don't register what they are, like their names, like their titles and everything, but you recognize them as you play through this game. And so I absolutely loved my experience. I did about as much as I could, even though I'm not the best at rhythm games, I played as much as I could, did beat it. And I, and I loved it. I absolutely loved my experience with Melody of Memory. So it moved up four spots to the number four ranking on my list personally. And so the top three is the same top three as the Metacritic ranking. And I had Kingdom Hearts 3 as number three. And so Kingdom Hearts 3, I think gameplay wise is really well done. It combines a lot of elements of Kingdom Hearts 2, of Birth by Sleep, of Dream Drop Distance and combines it into this amalgamation that is really well done. It's enjoyable. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think the game just kind of doesn't stick the landing for me as the culmination of this entire series or not this entire series, but the entire saga in the series to that point, it just fell flat a little bit for me. It wasn't quite as grand as I was expecting. It was shorter than I expected. The worlds I thought were really cool, but there weren't very many of them. So this one, I thought you, you really got to spend some time in um, uh, Toy Story, Frozen Worlds. Um, it was a lot of fun. But there were not as many worlds in Kingdom Hearts 3. And so it falls behind the, the first two main entry installments. So at number two... I have Kingdom Hearts, the first one. I absolutely love this game. I, this is the one I replayed most recently. I love it. The The magic is there. Sora is, is a kid, so you get to feel this, you know, very much childlike uh, exposure to all these things. So childlike wonder, um, the magic of Peter Pan's Neverland. Um, so fun. Such a, I, I can't explain the feeling, but having gotten this game pretty much as it at launch but not really understood what was going on because i didn't understand japanese rpg elements i waited uh to play it i, I picked it up sometime after i first got it and then fell in love with it when i was old enough to really understand what was going on and really gave it my time of day um kingdom hearts absolutely amazing as the first entry in the series it still holds up today and finally, the number one on my personal ranking of Kingdom Hearts games is Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts 2, I think I prefer this style of gameplay versus Kingdom Hearts 3. And I think there's a lot of elements, especially in the Final Mix version, which is part of the, the HD collections that are on PS4 and PC. You get to really feel this like... It's like a power fantasy, right? So you get to do all these attacks and moves uh, by the end of the game that are just amazing. You transform and into different forms. And so you get um, additional keyblades and they have different effects. And you just feel like you can really customize your Sora and your story. And I think the story in Kingdom Hearts 2 really does a good job of towing the line between being, you know, deep and interesting and uh, like a lot of lore 
but not being quite as convoluted as some of the other entries in this series where you can still follow along if you, you know, pay attention, basically. Kingdom Hearts 2 has long been my favorite Kingdom Hearts game, uh, and I recently started replaying this one. I've not finished it yet. I will finish it soon, um, but Kingdom Hearts 2 I think is absolutely amazing. It is the one I recommend above all else. I Because I think it's very close to Kingdom Hearts, the first one, I would still recommend that the first one is played first, so that you get all of that. But you have to commit to playing Kingdom Hearts 2 as well because it really takes all the ideas that were established in the first game and elevates it to another level. So Kingdom Hearts 2 is a must-play. I really love it, and it's number one, my number one Kingdom Hearts game in the series. But that's it. That's my ranking of nine of what I would consider to be the most important Kingdom Hearts games in the Kingdom Hearts series, my favorite video game series of all time. This was a lot of fun to kind of ramble on about Kingdom Hearts, so if you stuck with me, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, I, again, want to just plug the social media. Uh, so the Waiting in the Sky podcast is now on YouTube. We've got you know TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search In the Sky Pod and you will find us, I promise. Um, very excited to be updating those with little tidbits of each new episode. Speaking of new episodes, next Monday, we're going to be doing another media episode. I haven't decided exactly what that will be just yet. I have a week to do so, um, but I will update the social media once I've decided what those will be. And then Friday, I'm going to be recapping week one of the Chicago Bears season and previewing week two the Bears versus the Bengals. So thank you so much for staying with me here. Uh, please, please follow me on social media. Subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast, any little action that you make. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to recording another episode. Until then, take care. <laughs>